pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I didn't, um, I didn't know Holly was going to share that with you today, and that's probably why she did it, because she doesn't tell me anything. Um, but I did want to say uh, thank you uh, for the way you have been a part of our family, and I hope the way we have been a part of yours. Um, we really do feel honored to be here and to be a, a part of this church, and so uh, um, that's, hopefully that's enough. I could say more, but I, I cried in the first service, so I don't plan on crying here. So... Um, I'll just read this instead. This is a letter I got this week um, and thought it should be shared among the whole church. Uh, It's to the garden men, and I put some names in there so you know who they were talking about. Rich Mitchell, um, Terry Luce, Bob Squires, Glenn Parks, and there were some others as well, but those were the ones who were there very faithfully. This was a letter that came in the mail for them this week. My husband and I recently moved in next door to your church member, Coke. This is the first of many blessings. When Coke told me about the community garden, I was amazed at the vast assortment of vegetables that are available. When I go and pick up some of your awesome veggies, the man attending the stand is more than eager to answer my questions of what is this and how do I cook it. I now make many healthy meals such as vegetable quiche, zucchini bread, to name just a few. Therefore, I'd like to take a minute of your time to say thank you for the many hours of hard work that you have put into the maintaining the garden. I've always wanted to grow a garden having awesome fresh veggies. However, I have heart disease called cardiomyopathy, which means that my heart is large and weak. With this disease, I'm unable to do so. At some point, I will need a heart transplant. However, to get the new heart, I have to lose weight. Since I started eating all these fresh vegetables, I have been losing weight and I'm feeling great. In closing, I just wanted to let you all know that your hard work and dedication to the garden does not go unnoticed. Thank you, Linda Johnson. I don't think we can say thank you enough to the guys who invest so many hours um, every spring, summer, and even into the fall um, and the work that they do in that garden. Um, this year, I think we, we counted safely. Um, there were over 2,500 people, different people who came through uh, the garden. And so um, that's an incredible number of people that come through and, and benefit from that. And so we just want to say thank you to any of you who have played a part in that. Um, and I also want to say thank you this morning for you who are obviously the spiritual ones of the church um, because you're here on Labor Day weekend when many others are not. Um, but we're going to pray they all get back safely. Um, but this morning we're continuing our series uh, that's entitled Your Family my family, our family. And so we spent two weeks in this series, and you can go back and listen online if you ever want to catch up. Um, Two weeks talking about what it looks like to have a marriage that looks the way God intends for marriage to look, what it looks like to be the husband and wife to one another that God desires for us to be. And then we spent two weeks talking about how do we parent? What does it look like to to help disciple our children so they come to know Jesus, and that becomes really the most important thing we do as parents. And then we spent a week, um, and today is the second of the two parts um, that we're spending, looking at how do we do this together? What does life together look like? I mean, how do, we, how do we become the kind of church and kind of people that share in life together and move in better directions, and how do we, how do, we do this together? And so that's what we've been talking about um, two weeks ago and then again this morning. But as I was thinking about this week and how we're going to talk through this, and I've kind of been praying over this, and this um, today we're going to be in Judges chapter 2 in a few moments, but as... As we're coming into the series, I started thinking about all the changes we see in life. See, the reality for all of us in this room is all of us experience dramatic change all the time, and, and most of us don't control much of the change in our lives. We want to, we attempt to, but we really can't. Change is one of the constants in life. And some of you, when I talk about change, your response is this, or some of us, I should say. Our response is, well, um, 
great, I love change. Something new, something exciting, let's, change is great. Some of us in this room respond to change this way. I don't like it. I don't want it. And maybe you're like me. I go to the same restaurants, you know, like the, wherever we go out to dinner occasionally, that um, I order the exact same thing on the menu pretty much every time. Because if it was good once, it will probably be good again. So why would I try anything else? My wife tries all kinds of things. I don't know why she does that. Um, but, but there's something about change that we can't do much with. And so I started thinking about all the ways change happens so rapidly around us. So if you're a sports fan today, there was a day that if you wanted to know the season statistics for your favorite player, you had to buy their baseball card or their basketball card or whatever it might, was, might be, and you'd have to look on the back. Or you'd have to buy the newspaper the next day and hope that it was up to date and not just yesterday's stats. Or you could listen on the radio or... or Eventually there was television, and sometimes they would tell you where they were currently, but, but now, did you know that if you watch a sporting event, it's great, I love it, that you can get on the internet, and you can find out someone's statistics up to the moment? In fact, you can then find out their whole life story and read their biography while you're waiting for the next snap of the football game. I know, I've done it multiple times. And so there's all these things that we can do with technology and sports, and you say, well, I, I don't really care about sports, and that's fine. I don't know what's wrong with you. No, um, but maybe you really care about music, and there was a day when music that you were really, you found that there was this song you liked and this band you really loved to hear, and you had to sit and you'd wait for the radio to play that song. And who knows how long you were going to have to wait, but you would keep waiting and waiting. And then there came a day when you said, well, you know what, I, I can now buy these things called albums or big circle things that are black. In fact, they're making a comeback. But, but you could buy albums and you could play the song you wanted. And they had a little needle. Anyway, um, but you could listen to the album. And then, well, we're going to skip eight tracks because that didn't last very long. Um, but, but then there were cassette players, and that's about where I came into the world. You know, you could, you could put a cassette player in your car even, and you could listen to music. And then there were CDs, because I remember getting a boombox. Maybe you remember those, the little things with the handles that everyone wanted. Um, I never did put batteries in it, because batteries are kind of expensive, and they took like 20 um, of the real big ones. I don't know where they put them all, but, but I got one, and I was so excited. And then my mom bought me a CD, and it was someone she liked, and I said, well, we need to take this back then, and so she did. Um, but, but I remember I was so excited, and it weighed like 25 pounds, and you couldn't carry it around anyway, and people would try, but... But now, the crazy thing is, if you have like a smartphone or, or some kind of iPod, you can download a whole album of, that someone has produced, or just one song, and you can listen to the whole album, you can have the whole thing downloaded in probably under 30 seconds. It's incredible, the way technology changes. See, it's not just there that technology changes, we could talk about cars. And, and many of you have a car, right? Most people have cars, or you know someone that has a car, or you've seen a car. And if you saw old cars, you'd know that on the dashboard there were like three knobs, and you see new cars, and there's so many buttons, you're not sure what to press because it may blow up. I mean, you have to talk to your grandkid or your children to figure out what those buttons do. Or you read the manual, and it's speaking a foreign language. Change is all around us. It's everywhere that we look. And in fact, some of you remember a day, well, not very many of you, but where you didn't buy vegetables or groceries at the grocery store, or you didn't buy meat, you had it on your own property, you would slaughter animals, or you would buy the fruit and or you would grow the fruit and vegetables, but now uh, we've moved so far that you don't even have to go to the grocery store if you don't want to. You can order it online. There is a fee, but you don't have to leave your house to get groceries. The world rapidly changes all around us. There was a day that if you had a phone, it was like on a party line, and it would ring a certain number of beeps or links, or I don't know how it worked. I wasn't alive for those. And the party line, you would answer when it was your home's turn to answer, and everyone else could listen to your phone call as well. And we've gone from that 
So today, most people don't even use a landline anymore. They have what we call cell phones, and you put it in your pocket, and you take it wherever you want to go. And in fact, there's hardly any place in the world you could go and not talk on a cell phone. Changes, though, every single one of these changes was built upon a generation before. See, the crazy thing about the way change works is that we have more stuff and information changes more rapidly today than ever in history. But the truth is, each one of us, wherever that change may be, is built upon someone else and the work they did and the generation before and the generation before that. The truth is, we are no smarter today than we have ever been. We just have more information than we've ever had. People aren't smarter today because we live in the 21st century. They're not. Our IQs, if we were to go back and study IQs, they would probably be, there would be just as many smart people and just as many dumb people and just as many people that are right in the middle for, forever. Now you could argue we know new things and different things today, and that's totally true. But what I want to say this morning is this, that I am convinced that from one generation to the next, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we will miss something that has gone before, and if we're also not careful, We'll miss looking forward. And so here's what um, Samuel writes in Judges chapter 2. And I'll ask you to stand as we read from Judges chapter 2. Here's what Samuel writes. After Joshua had dismissed, sorry, verse 6, I'm sorry, verse 6. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. People served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord and the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Asterisk. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. See, this book follows, this book of Judges follows a familiar path for many. See, the story goes like this. There was a generation that knew God. They saw what he had done, how he delivered them, how he freed them. He'd set them free from captivity. And as that generation passed away, a new generation came into existence who didn't remember the stories of their fathers and their grandfathers. In fact, they didn't know what had happened, and so they began to live as if everyone else lived, and so they began to wander from God. And they found themselves in captivity, and and we see all throughout the book of Judges that God would then raise up a leader in the midst of those people, and he would rescue them out of captivity, and he would bring them back to a place of freedom again and again and again. The cycle keeps repeating itself. In fact, I would argue that the cycle continues today and the cycle doesn't look a whole lot different. We forget what God has done for us and we wander away because the mark of God's love is that he loves us so much he will let us go where we want to go. 
See, I, I read this text and I have a couple of thoughts, and I don't think I'm alone in this. You read this text and you say, well, how come the next generation did not know? And, and here is why. Because the generation before them did not do a very good job of teaching them. That's a scary thought, but it is the reality. If the generation who grows up doesn't know, it's because the generation before didn't teach them. They could argue they lost and they wandered, and that's probably true, but they weren't taught either. See, I think sometimes, um, I think sometimes that we, we forget the past because we want to and we move on from it. I think other times we um, aren't taught the past either. So this morning, I, I was, as I was preparing for this sermon, and as I, um, several months ago, we looked at the text and knew the series that we were in, and so I, I this summer, we are at what I call, dis, what we call district assembly, and, and some of you know what that is, and others don't, and that's okay, it's this meeting thing we go to every year in the Church of the Nazarene, and so some of you think it's painfully boring, and sometimes it's true. But the morning of assembly, I went for a run at the, at the district campground thing where, where we meet, and and I was listening to this sermon, and he used a phrase, this thinking John Ortberg did, and it, it resonated with me, and I thought about this message during that phrase, so I'm stealing part of this from him, but just this small part, and the small part is what these three chairs represent. Um, so these three chairs represent our pasts, right, what's happened before us, what's gone on before. This chair in the middle represents our present, and that chair over there represents our future, so the past, the present, and the future. So in other words, he was talking, and he used this phrase, that we want to be a three-chair church. And I, I kind of liked what he said about that. And so, so here's how I want to describe it to you and I. So the past, we want to be a church of the past, who lives in the present but is always looking to the future. So we want to recognize what's happened before us. And so if we're going to talk about the church, we should probably talk about this church. It's a kind of a crazy story. In the late 1950s, in Muskegon, across the other side of town, what was Muskegon First Church of the Nazarene, now Muskegon Breakwater, um, they donated $5,000, and several families from there, it was about 42 people, came and they broke ground here, and they started digging a hole to build a church. And so these people literally used hands, and they used a tractor, and they themselves built it. In fact, one of the things I love about my office is I can touch the beams that I know those men and women helped put up in 1960 when the church was built. And so in 1960, this church opened its doors, and so there were the Fries and the Howes and, and the Mitchells, and there were others that were there, a part of that. In fact, I, I read them all off in the first service. I don't hope I don't... I'm not leaving anybody out in here, so don't feel like I am. If there were the, the Redmonds later on, and, and Harpers, and others who have been a part of the church for, for decades. And they gathered together in, in what is now the old part where our kids meet. It's old, but it's been renovated for kids, so it's for children. That's not old for them, but that sounded really awful, that we give our kids the old stuff, which we don't want to do that, because we're talking about future church, right? And then in the late 80s, they built um, what, what's the gym or the Christian Life Center or whatever else we call it. It's on signs in the foyer, and you can look and see if you can't remember because I might be saying it wrong. And in 1989, they built that. And, and the fact that it's one of those stories that you'll never forget because Bob Hart, who was in our first service this morning, who's in his 80s now, Bob Hart was helping work on it, and he moved a board on the trusses at the top. And when he moved that board, the problem was that was holding way more than anyone thought it was. And all of the trusses for this new building, 30 feet in the air, they fell. And Bob rode the trusses to the ground. But Bob was okay. He got up and walked away. Um, not saying he didn't hurt 
um, but he survived. And then in 1998, the room that we're in was built, and a few other spaces in this building. And so this church has a history, it has a story to tell. We can tell stories of what happened in the old sanctuary. We can tell stories of what has happened in here. We can tell stories about the way that, that kids used to rollerblade when they were building this on the concrete in the foyer. There, there are stories that we could tell that mark this church and mark this church's history. In fact, there are pictures of all the previous pastors that ate before me in the hallway out there. And they're not important to say, look at this guy. And they were all men. They could have, but, but it's to say this. Um, these are the stories that have shaped this place. And each of these people represents stories of generations that have come here. And so those stories are our past. We remember them. But I, the truth is, if I'm going to talk about the past of the church, I can't just talk about this local church. I'd have to talk about the fact that we're part of the Church of the Nazarene, that in 1908, some churches who thought that God really wanted to transform hearts in complete and full ways that the church began out of that idea and so the Church of the Nazarene was born. But I can't really just talk about the Church of the Nazarene. I have to talk about the early church and that started at the resurrection of Jesus. So it's the whole reason the church exists that from the beginning that God had done something new in Jesus and through him lives were radically transformed and hearts were transformed so much so that we could be recreated in the image of God in which we were created in the beginning. That's the past. The great thing about the way Jesus works is that story of him isn't just the past. That story continues into the present and into the future. But our story isn't the past and the present and future as well. It's all of them. It's combined into this way. The present church, we would say this, we are a church today that is debt-free. Last year we received an anonymous gift for a couple hundred thousand dollars that paid off our debt. And so we now are in a building that these generations before sacrificed and worked and built. And today we can say that through other sacrificial giving, it's why we give faithfully to God. That our kids and our grandkids can come to a place where we can invest more in our children and our young people and our families than we could before because we're not paying for a building anymore. Now we still pay a light bill and other things, but we're able to invest in people more now. It's why we have coming this Saturday a family tailgate party in which People from the community are invited at no cost to them because of sacrificial giving of our people that they come and they participate and we hope that they know that we care about them and want to share in life together. It's why we're hosting a 5K in October. You'll be hearing more about in this 5K walk run. Some of you can walk, some of you can run. The reason we do this is so we can raise money to the rescue mission because God has blessed us. So how can we bless others in some kind of way? It's why we're having a marriage retreat this fall. It's why we're working on, why we've hired staff people to invest in the lives of others because we want to be a church that is present in this day, that honors the past before us, but lives in the present in this middle chair. But we don't want to just live in this middle chair because if we stay there, then we're in trouble because we want to be a church who most importantly always looks to the future. Stephen Cassidy Hayes Camp had a little girl this week. The Paces are ready to have a little child anytime. There are others that are pregnant right now as well. See, we will be the church for their kids and for their grandkids. We will be the kind of church that my kids and my grandkids want to be a part of. See, as a church, we don't want to just live in the past or live in the present. We want to be looking to the future. How can we be the church? And in case you haven't known or you've forgotten, one of the things that keeps me up at night. And if you follow Jesus, it should keep you up at night as well. 
But in a five-mile radius of this place, just within five miles, there are 50,000 people in 2010 on the census marked that they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. 50,000 people in a five-mile radius who have no church they call home. That keeps me up at night. Because see, what I can promise you is this, as our church board has talked, and as we have talked with our church staff, that we want to be a church that always honors our past, because we want to remember from whence we have come. We want to live in the present, we don't want to be living in the past, but we also want to be looking to the future. So whatever changes we as a church make are about this. We want to live in the past, we don't want to live in the past, we don't just want to live in the present, we want to look to the future. So the changes we make is so that our kids and our grandkids and the 50,000 people in a five-mile radius here will come to know Jesus. That's our dream. And the dream is this, that God has not changed. The God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God wants to do a new thing in and through us, and this new thing is what Jesus has done from the beginning. That he changes hearts and minds and lives. See, our hope isn't um, in some old message. Our hope isn't in some old thing. Our hope today is that God will do a new thing in us and among us and through us. And I, I say this part. Um, it's kind of funny as we talk about our past, my past. This morning, my grandmother is 92 years old. And um, she's speaking at her church this morning. She's never done that before. Um, she's the oldest person in the church at this point. And uh, so the pastor has asked her if she'll answer some questions about the way she's grown spiritually over the last 30 years. And so she's a little nervous about it and sent me an email this morning. And, and uh, so my 92-year-old grandmother can send an email. It's kind of impressive. I think she's on Facebook, too. Um, but she's going to talk about how, how God has shaped her and molded her. And one of the things that most impresses me about my grandmother is this. That through all the changes their church has made, and they've made some radically different changes in that 30 years. Well, actually, she's been there for like 60 years. And she has been faithful to God and to her church. She's partnered with them in whatever they've done to try to reach her community. Because she has been changed by Jesus, and she so desperately wants the people she meets to be changed as well. See, I think sometimes we get stuck in thinking things can't change in churches, and here's what I mean. I'll pick on stuff that will probably offend everyone, and that's always better than a one person. Sometimes we'll talk about like church music, and we'll say, well, it's got to be this way, because this is what we've known, and this is what we love, and, and so it has to be this, and, and I, I can, some of you love, well, who, and if you haven't heard of them, that's okay, because I really couldn't tell you any of their songs, but maybe you love the Gaither band, and, or you could pick any other band you want, and, and, and there was a time when they were controversial in any church, and, and then I always say to people when they say that, I say, well, you realize some of the, like, the hymns you love or songs you love were written from bar tunes, right? Some of the great songs of the church came from bar tunes, that some church person said, you know, People already know this rhythm and this music. Why, why don't we put some good words to that? And that was more controversial than anything we do today. In fact, there was a time in church history when people didn't actually sing in church unless you were a professional singer. You weren't allowed to. It was only for the professionals. In fact, there was a day in church when not just the professionals sang, but only a certain elect group of the clergy sang and no one else. The church has... Now, that was like... 
10,000 years ago, but the point is that there's always change in church. There's change everywhere. There's change in everything. What we can promise you, what I can promise you, what our church can promise you is that the message of the resurrection of Christ, the message of hope in God, that he wants to redeem and restore us into his image through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that he offers us new life, that message will always be the same. But the way we share that message, the way the space looks, that's function. That's method. It isn't the message. Now, it often gives a message, but the message of Jesus will always be the same here, but there may be times, there will be times, when change happens, when buildings are renovated, because they don't matter. What matters is the message that God wants to redeem the world. And he wants to do it through the local church. And so what I can promise you is that as long as I'm here, and as long as this church board is still functioning the way it functions, and as long as you partner with us, our goal is this, that we will honor the past always. We will remember the history. We will walk through the old part of the building and see the beams that were put there by hands. We will look at the gym and we walk and look at the trashes. You will know that, that a guy fell from those and survived, and in fact he's here with us still. When you come in this room, you remember that there were people who wrote stuff on the floors and they used their rollerblades and roller skates on it when it was being built. And so we're going to remember the past and we're going to honor the past, but we're going to live in the present and we're going to look to the future because if we don't live in the present and look to the future, then all of this back here is worthless. It becomes a relic. It becomes history. And God always wants to do new things in and among us and transform the world. And so this church is committed to being that kind of place. That's the invitation this morning is to join with me in that endeavor. That we together can transform our community. And for our hearts to break for the 50,000 people who have yet to come to know Jesus as Lord in this life-changing, transforming way. This morning, as a reminder of who our church is, by the way, two, two side notes right here. Um, one, Wednesday night, if you haven't... Um, so there's, we've, my, our family has a loose connection to these missionaries. This is a real side note. I told you, I'm taking a break. Um, my mother-in-law and the wife's mother are good friends. So much so that our only connection... I, know, I see, see people's minds churning over that one. Um, she wore my wife's wedding dress in her wedding a year later. So there you go. And, and uh, so they're going to come tell stories about... We've, I talked to her on the phone for the first time this week, so we've never actually met. Um, but they're going to tell stories about how God is redeeming the world in China. Uh, we can't actually post that online or publish it because they're not officially missionaries. I don't know what they officially are in China. I think teachers. Um, so we can't actually share that. But we'd encourage you to come this Wednesday night, bring a dessert to share afterward. Um, but come and just hear the way God is working around the world and the way people are being creative. So I'd encourage you to come this Wednesday night. The second thing I would say is this. Um, and I just drew a complete blank. Oh, whatever the second thing I was going to tell you is a side note. So that's why I should just go back to the sermon. Oh, if you've never been baptized, this is way more important even than that. Next Sunday, we have a baptism uh, that will be taking place. And if you've never been baptized and you've come to know Jesus, that I would invite you, because it's one of the ancient things that connects us to the early church, that from the beginning, when people came to know Jesus, they were then baptized in water, symbolically saying, no more does the old life define me, no more am I defined by the sin of my life, but I've been radically transformed into the image of God. 
The old is gone, the new has come. And so I'd encourage you to be baptized next Sunday. See me after the service if you're interested. And all that to say, as we seek to be the church that honors the past, lives in the present, and looks to the future. And we honor the past this morning by what by recognizing what Jesus has done. By recognizing that in him he is radically transforming our hearts and lives. And so we take communion this morning. Remembering that it was a long, long time ago. That it's just as real for us today what Jesus has done as it was then. So in just a moment as we take these elements, we take them honoring the past and remembering what Jesus has done, recognizing that in him we're to live in the present and look to the future because just as in the text today in Judges that said um, they look to the future, we know they look to the future because the future brought Christ himself. We know he has come and he will come again. So this morning, in just a moment, we're going to take communion together and we have an open table policy. Everybody is invited to come and partake And we take communion this morning as a way of recognizing the death and resurrection of Jesus, that in him we can have new life. And so we take these elements this morning in recognition of the new life we find in him. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite um, the Himbers and the Twinings to come and to help us serve communion today. As we take these elements, we'll ask you to come down these middle outside aisles and take the elements and take them to your seat. And then we'll, we'll take communion together. We'll take the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, together. But we take this this morning, remembering the past, recognizing that Jesus is still here in the present and he will always be here in the future. And so our church is committing to doing whatever it takes to reach people who don't know Jesus. And so I have two questions that I want to leave us with. And these two questions are this. If not us, who? If not now, when? If not us, who? If not now, when? See, the crazy thing about what God has done is he didn't pick the most select group of people. He picked everyone to be his church. He invites all people, regardless of our backgrounds, because he wants to continually do new things in life-changing and transforming ways. For the church to be his church for this generation and the generation to come. So that just like in the text in Judges that we won't look back and say, well, they just forgot. We'll make sure that the next generation, that our kids and our grandkids and their kids and their grandkids will know Jesus by the, the mark of this church and by the mark of this people. If not us, who? If not now, when? Father, will you help us this day as we prepare to take these elements as we know that your son did something through his death and his resurrection to transform us. And so we pray this morning that you would help us in these moments to remember your love and your grace for us. May you truly help us to realize how much you have and continue to do in and through us. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen.
I'd invite you at this time to stand and, and uh, come and take the elements, and we'll take them all together.